Welcome to the Diligent Woman Podcast, where Christian women let go of their guilt and step out in confidence by bringing God into every part of the day, learning by examples in scripture, applying simple principles, and trusting the Lord with it all. I am Angela Legg of thediligentwoman.com, and I welcome you to grow in grace and truth one step at a time. Let's get started. And welcome to the Diligent Woman podcast. I'm Angela, Diligent Woman from thediligentwoman.com. Just dropping in today to give you a little bit of encouragement, uh, give you some thoughts, maybe something that you can study that will help you through whatever path it is that you're walking for the Lord today and help you to be more diligent about it. Today's uh, topic, I want to speak specifically to those who are married Um, It's also good information if you're not married yet, so that you can be, you know, studying and growing and going forward. But just wanted to talk about looking at the Bible, again, giving God the position of being the number one expert. He's the one that you go to first for everything. And this even includes for marriage. And so for husbands and wives, how do you use the scriptures to help you navigate some of those difficult situations that come up while you're while you're married, um, and so wanted to take a look, take a minute, and use the scriptures to you know touch on a couple of those things. Just kind of off the bat, first woman in the Bible that we could look at, a married couple that we could look at to learn some things, is to look at Adam and Eve. If you ever opened your Bible and studied their story, the way that God's given it to you, from the perspective that this is the first wife and husband. No one else has done that before. Both of them are the first. Eve is the first woman. She's the first wife. She's the first mother. She's the first woman who went through childbirth. She, you know, she All of these things that she had to do first. And that's how all of us have all of these generations of knowledge since her that's been handed down that women have shared and encouraged us. But if you're ever in a situation where you're living away from family and you move to a new area, you don't know anybody yet, maybe you don't know members of the congregation very well yet, and you're a young mother, sometimes it's hard and you you don't feel confident maybe that you can handle all these things because you don't have your mother close. You don't know how you're going to go through um, your first pregnancy and do all of these things just on your own. Well, God's word should give you a little bit of courage and comfort because Eve went through all of that on her own. It was she and Adam and God. That's it. (laughs) So if she's able to do that, with no one to help her, no one to give her advice other than God, to tell her how these things work, then you need to know that you are created with instincts and the ability to do these things, and God's going to give you enough to fill in most of the blanks. There's there's always the chance that some unusual circumstance is going to come up, but that's what you have all of this wealth of knowledge to tap into in other places. But you can trust that God and your husband are going to get you through your own instincts, your own, you know, willingness to keep moving forward. Your ability to do these things is there. You do have an inherent ability to be a mother, to be a parent, to be a wife. 
you've got that and you need to trust that and then trust what God shows you. Well, Eve's an excellent example of that. And so one of the first scriptures that we have about Eve is her, is God creating her. And this is a good scripture for us to remember how God views men and women, how God views husbands and wives and the value that he gives to each. And in creating Eve, we need to remember that she was created for a purpose. God said in Genesis 2.18, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Okay? He's not making a helper lower than him. He is making someone who will help him who is comparable to him. Okay? This is a concept that we need to understand. This is one who is going to fill the need. There's a gap and she fills that need. He saw a lacking in Adam. Adam was capable. He was doing the job God gave him to do, but there was something missing and he didn't have a companion. So God's answer was to create woman and her creation is unique. We see that instead of just making her out of the dust of the ground, the way that he did Adam and the animals, She's actually made out of Adam's bone. She is made out of something that was already created. And God makes her out of the bone of Adam. And Adam recognizes this when God presents her to Adam. And Adam says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And I'm going to call her woman because she was came from man. And he acknowledges that they are of the same make, but they're not the same exact um, duplicate of one another. They're, they're both human. They're both the same kind. She's different than all the animals that they've seen. They are a unique kind together, but she is different than he is, but they also have things in common and she is made to fill those gaps for him, to be that companion for him, to be that one who can sustain and nurture and help him. And God said that this was not good for man to be by himself. And the good that he brought was woman. That's a lifting you up. That's not a holding you down. Um, God is actually elevating her to the same position that man is in. And he puts them in an equal front, but he gives them a different job to do. Their focus is a little different. That's all. They just have different functions. That's it. Um, she has things that she can do that he can't and vice versa. And it's made to balance one another out. And it's a beautiful thing. And we've just reading that context, reading the simplicity of why she was made, how she was needed. And so that makes her valuable because she was needed. And she was the right thing for Adam's need. So that is true for all of us. So don't let the world tell you that God has a lower view of woman versus man. It's not true. And we need to not take on that worldly view and see ourselves as lower. And we need to not let others treat us as though we are less. There is a world of difference between you being humble enough to allow yourself, you know, for others to, you know, maybe get away with the way they think about you or talk about you, but that's you choosing to not fight about it. That's different than being living as though you believe what they think 
or what they say. And that's, those are different concepts. And so if we dive into how God sees us, it's going to help us to be able to navigate that much better, to be humble, but to also be confident because we can be both. So Eve is a good example. And then um, another example to go to for how to interact with husbands and wives that I think is a valuable one um, is over in Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 through 7. This is an excellent book. I love teaching Song of Solomon. Um, keep it age appropriate. Teach it to, you know, <laughs> those who are about the time when they might be dating and they need to be mindful of how they're going to be behaving. Um, and in chapter eight, we get the overall attitude that both of these people bring to their marriage. The whole drama has been gone through. The Shulamite has now made her choice. She has chosen the shepherd over Solomon and she's made her choice. And the shepherd says, set me as a seal upon your heart as a seal upon your arm. This is in chapter eight and verse six. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Shepherd says, I don't want jealousy to be between us anymore. Hint, hint, all of this stuff with Solomon was creating a problem. And he doesn't want that to be between them anymore. And he says, set me as a seal upon your heart. Let me have your heart and be the protection of it. And love is as strong as death. And jealousy is as cruel as the grave. Jealousy can kill love. And so he doesn't want it to come between them anymore. And then if you jump down uh, to verse 13, um, he says to her, you who dwell in the gardens, the companions listen for your voice. Let me hear it. He, they've got this wedding procession. They're outside and he tells her, you let these people hear that you've made your choice. And the last verse of the book is the Shulamite stating, make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. She gives this image of this young and energetic stag and a doe and a gazelle. They're going to go and have a lovely life together. It's full of energy. It's full of life. And she is ready and she's excited. And he wanted her to declare that to everyone. This is a positive energy, a positive look towards what marriage is meant to be and to have this attitude towards one another. And it is something that needs to be nurtured in the right way. It's not something that young people need to be expecting outside of marriage. It is something to be looked forward to in marriage. But there's nothing wrong with knowing that that is a reasonable expectation. As you study through the rest of the book of Song of Solomon, you have several instances where the shepherd and the Shulamite both talk about what they expect from a marriage with one another and what they expect the other one to bring to the table. And they expect to be able to please one another physically, emotionally, psychologically. They expect that their character and their behavior are going to go well together and they're going to benefit each other. All of the illusions are to things that are life-giving, energy-giving, free-flowing, healthy things. 
that they expect from one another. And it's based on their character and their work ethic and their reputation that they have built for being someone of strong character. And you see that in them and it makes in them have this natural desire for what is right in marriage. And it is a good thing. We just need to teach our children and remind ourselves that it has its place in marriage. But if you jump over to Proverbs 5, this same concept is also applied to an older couple. This is not something that's just for the youth. Marriage is meant to be something that is enjoyed. And it's all of the aspects of it. It's just used that the physical relationship is one means of describing the whole, right? And Proverbs 5, verses 15 through 19, um, Solomon ad admonishes the, the married to, to drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. And I like that the original word that enraptured, it could also be translated addicted, always be addicted to her love. And it's not addiction in a bad way. This is she needs to be the thing that you want the most. And this is said to a man who has a wife of his youth. The implication is they are not youthful anymore. These are, this is an older couple and he's still supposed to see her that way. It's encouraged. And in this context, it is encouraged as a means to make sure that there isn't any leaving from that marriage relationship and sharing of things they shouldn't be sharing with strangers. It protects the marriage if they look at it as something to be enjoyed and desired and still to cling to one another in that way. God's word can give you this encouragement. God's word can show you that this is a good thing. Those instincts that we have, that this should be a good part of our relationship and it should be nurtured when it's in a good way and healthy. We need to allow God's word to train our minds that way instead of the world's definition of you're getting older, so just expect those things to go away and it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It's how you keep temptation away from within a marriage. It's how you keep jealousy away from destroying your marriage. It happens to older people just as much as it does to younger people. This is not something that is only for the young. Older people face temptation and sometimes they are set up more so for the temptation because of neglect in this area and this failure to be addicted to one another, to be enraptured with one another. You put your service to God first and then you don't forget that then your spouse comes next. And choose them every day and long for him. This is a good thing. And God's word shows you that. And there's lots of other verses that can go into that. But this is, you know, um, so we can see with Eve that we can be capable women in all of these areas, even if we don't have all of our female friends around us. God's word and having our husband and our own instincts, our own abilities, we can handle these things. We can handle more than we think we can because Eve did. And then with the Shulamite and the shepherd and with this reference in Proverbs, we can see that that good, loving, 
affectionate relationship in a marriage is a good thing and it is to be nurtured and it should be something that should be expected. And so what can I do to help that and to, for it to be right? And we can go to lots of other verses. First Corinthians seven teaches it needs to be mutual. It needs to be something that you choose. This is something I choose to give to him. He chooses to give to me. Um, and we're in control of that. It's a mutual decision. If it has to, if there has to be changes in things, it has to be decided. Nobody takes anything from anybody. It's got to be given. And those attitudes are all given in scripture. We just need to dive in and learn them. Okay. And then uh, lastly, over in first Peter three, you may be familiar with this scripture. Um, but the encouragement that is given in first Peter three, one through six, in the context of first Peter, everything leading up to chapter three is establishing that there are all kinds of relationships where submission is required. That one must submit themselves to the authority of someone else. Over in chapter two, he talks about the master and slave relationship and the government relationship. And uh, Peter talks about Jesus being the ultimate example of not holding yourself above others, but being able to relinquish your own power when there is authority in the room. Okay. And likewise, as first Peter three begins, wives have a similar, a similar situation. Um, this is with their husbands, how they are supposed to show the correct attitude towards their husband. And in the specific context of chapter three, Peter deals with a woman who is a Christian, who is married to a man who is not. And in using this scenario, he shows how powerful being obedient to God's word is. That without saying a word, without browbeating him about not being a Christian, with not nagging him to death about coming to services with you, without constantly being a pest, making it where worshiping God is a chore that he just must do or he's, he's wrong. You, he, you're chosen to him. He's still one you can love. He's someone you can be in the right relationship with in your marriage and handle yourself rightly. And so by doing it that way, you might win him to the truth because he sees the wisdom lived out in your own life. But throughout this description, it also talks about how that submission works. And again, it's not a submission where you lay down and you are just your slave that's beaten and he does whatever he wants. That's actually taken care of in verse seven, because that is not the attitude that a husband is supposed to have. But it is that a woman does what she's supposed to do the way that God told her to do it. And she stays in her lane. And in verse two, it says, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And that's not fear of the husbands. It's fear of God, which is respect and honor for God's authority. This is your conduct. And he says in verse three, do not let your adornment be outward. Arranging the hair, wearing gold or putting on fine apparel. He says, don't, don't let that be what describes you, what makes you beautiful. It's not those things instead, or rather in verse four, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And then in verse five, he explains it a little more. So how do I have that gentle and quiet spirit? 
For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Their submission was something that they wore, not literally clothing. It was something that identified them as being different. And the way we know this is because Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. What that means is that she recognized his authority. She didn't usurp his authority. She didn't insert herself into his place. She was willing to submit herself to his authority. And we do this all the time. We submit to the authority of our employers. We submit to the authority of the teachers and the administration in school. We submit to the authority of our government at all levels. We get what that means. I don't lose who I am because I agree that the government has authority. I am just willing to allow them to use their authority and use it rightly, and I'm going to respect it. That is being submissive. And we do the same thing towards our husbands. And if we do that and just do what we're supposed to, that is chaste conduct. That is a quiet spirit because I'm not inside fighting with him. In my mind, I'm not going, he's not doing that right and I would do it better. That's not a quiet spirit. A quiet spirit is one who's not at war. He's not, not at battle with him. Every personality type can have a meek and quiet spirit. I can be gentle even if I have a, a very forceful personality that has a lot of energy that moves forward, gets lots of things done, and all of that. I can still have a gentle and quiet spirit because inside, my nature is not at war with my husband and his authority. He has his authority that he's given. I have my own. I don't need his. I'm not going to take his from him. He has the right and the responsibility that goes with it to be in the position that God put him in. And my submission is nothing more than a willful acknowledgement of that. And as we see in Ephesians 5, it's the exact same thing. It's the exact same submission that we show to Christ every day. I am willing to allow him to have rule over me. I'm going to choose to follow him. I'm going to choose to follow his authority. I'm going to choose to listen to him and acknowledge that he has that authority to tell me how to be as a Christian in relation to him. That's Christ's authority to do that. And my submitting is my acknowledging that he has that right and I'm going to do that. As long as I'm arguing with Christ in my head going, I think this needs to be done another way and I don't want to do it that way. I'm going to do it. I'm not being submissive to him. Your way, if you always tell them that their way is never right or you don't have the right to tell me, that's not a submissive attitude towards Christ. And the same is reflected in our marriages um, and any other relationship we're in where there's authority, right? But first Peter, he shows us how this works and he does it in a practical way. He talks about it. It's not in the literally all of these, you know, what you say in this moment. It's not... Um, it's not seeing yourself as a slave. It's understanding that in Christ, we're all equal. Men and women are equal in Christ, but in the marriage relationship, there's different functions and we are willing to allow ourselves to function the way God said function. That is simply what submission is. I, we are willing to realize in the church that there are many different parts and they all have a different part to play. In Ephesians, he talks about the body having all these different parts, the eye, the hand, the foot. They don't all do the same thing. 
They're all needed. They're all valuable. But if one of them decides to act like another part, then something's not going to get done. Not everything, not every person can be a hand. Not every person can be the eye that sees. Not everybody can be that one part and the whole body still continue to function. And our marriages are the same way. So God gives us all of this information and it builds us up and gives us confidence because it makes it clear what's ours to do. And he also shows us here through Peter that this is what beauty looks like. Having the right attitude, not being at war with the people around you, being at peace within yourself because you're living by God's word. So that you can have this spirit where you can work with other people and not get in their way. That's what beauty is. It's not all this other stuff that you put on that's expensive and costly and the things that we like. That's not what defines our beauty. It's what's inside and how we react to things. And he makes it where that is something that is doable. And he shows us Sarah in her willingness to be submissive to her husband. And we are daughters of hers. This is a picture that we are given. And it's, this is not the only scripture that goes into this. You've got lots of God's word that helps you to see what that submission is supposed to look like. That it doesn't take away from you. It is a part of your inherent beauty if you are able to let other people do what God's given them to do while you do what you're supposed to do. And if you're in the situation where you have someone around you who's not a Christian, who doesn't know what all that means, you are going to be a huge impression on them and they might even be taught the truth just by your chaste conduct that is accompanied by respect for God. That's a power that you have that you get to wield. It is a power that God entrusts with you. But it lays right in the heart of doing what God says. The world makes these things really complicated and really hard. Living life, people making choices, our husbands don't always make choices that are ones that we can submit to. Acts 5 covers that. We can't follow them into sinful behavior. I can't submit to sinful behavior. I can acknowledge his authority, but his authority doesn't give him the right to do sinful things. So I can't go with him and do that. Ananias and Sapphira teach us that clearly in Acts chapter 5. But in all these other things where he has the authority and he has, he's the one who has to carry the burden. He's the one who has to make sure that those things are covered. I'm willing to submit to that and let him have that. And I'm going to do what's mine to do. God's given me plenty to do. I have a very big job. Being a warrior of valor for the Lord around my family and my home and to have the trust of my husband's heart, that's a big job. There's so many things that go into that. And we need to stop demeaning it. And we need to read these things from God's perspective. There's so many other situations with husbands and wives that are dealt with. If you read through the scriptures, you see men who don't deal well with their wives. Nabal is the first one that comes to mind with Abigail. We don't see him being particularly hateful towards her. He just overall is not a nice man. So it's reasonable to assume he's not nice to her. And yet she does the right thing and she stands in the wake and she protects him. She ends up saving his life from David. Because Nabal got himself into a bad place. And she does the right thing and she steps up and 
In all of it, she is submissive. She is respectful to both men. And yet she stops them both from doing something foolish and something else happening. Um, we have other men who don't, David doesn't make the best choices for the women in his life. And we see how those women behave. In Michael, we see that it ended, ends up making her bitter and she ends up turning against him. She has a lot of stuff done to her. She has a lot of baggage that is brought to that situation, but she still chooses to be bitter rather than to be, to trust in the Lord and do what the Lord wants and her just do the best she can for the Lord. Um, she doesn't take that route. Um, Bathsheba um, shows us a different path for that. David, again, makes a decision not in her best interest, embroils her in all of this trouble. He goes on and commits all these other sins, but she makes him, she holds him responsible for his behavior and she continues to do what she should. We see with Tamar, with Judah, he doesn't do right by her and she holds him to account for that. Tamar and Amnon, Amnon doesn't do right by his half-sister and she holds to the law through every bit of it and she still has the integrity of trying to do the right thing even though he refuses and we have all of these examples where people make choices and whether or not they go along with it or not they each answer for their own behavior um, I love looking at Ahab and Jezebel actually a very good power couple they're just very evil people <laughs> um, but we see in them he tries to pawn off on her the evil that is done um, to get the the vineyard next door that he doesn't need, but he wants. And so he gives it to her. She takes it over and is willing to get it for him. And she does so by taking a life. And God holds Ahab accountable for it. It's not just Jezebel's that is accountable for that because God knows Ahab made the decision to let Jezebel go do that. He asked her to take care of that, um, indicated that he couldn't and he wanted and he, he was pitiful and She's like, well, fine, then I'll take care of it. She just goes ahead and takes that on, even though it would not was not a good thing to do. And she took that on and sin was done. And God held them both accountable for that amongst all the other sins that they did. But it's a good thing that God gives us that picture of the two of them interacting with one another, what she did, but how God held Ahab accountable as well, even though his hands were not directly involved in that process. God still held him accountable. And we need to learn from these lessons. We need to see what God shows us about how, how these people functioned and learn the principles and figure out how in the world we live in, how do I apply that? How do I put that on as my, as my inner beauty? And how do I put that on so that I have a meek and quiet spirit that functions the way that I should? So I want to encourage you, take a look at Eve, Adam and Eve, for a good lesson on husbands and wives. Go to Song of Solomon in the book of Proverbs and see what kind of attitude and joy God wants to encourage in marriage. This has been encouraged from the beginning. It has not always been just arranged marriages that are loveless that have to grow and they have to learn to even tolerate each other. God has always encouraged loving relationships. Just go read again. Go look at Abraham and Sarah, Rebecca and Jake and Isaac. Um, and Jacob and Rachel and Leah and the failure that ends up in that relationship. But Isaac and Rebecca adore each other so much they can't hide it. And it declares to the king that they're trying to deceive that they are not 
brother and sister. It's obvious they are not brother and sister because of how much they enjoy one another. Go read these stories and build your marriage on the information that God has given you and try with every bit of your energy to try and let God's expertise be the guide for you. You may need some wisdom from other people. God tells you to use that, tells the older women to teach the younger women. You need to go to them and ask them and use their wisdom, but their wisdom needs to come from God. It needs to come from God's word and you need to be able to match it up. Let God's word ultimately be your number one expert in this area and your marriage will thrive. You will thrive spiritually, which is what has to happen even if your spouse doesn't come along with you in the process. You will find comfort, you will find peace, and your days will be better. Your children will be blessed, and you can apply those things then to other areas of your life and see benefit from it, because God always tells us what is for our good. So I want to encourage you to dig in, let those lessons teach you. Go to that book first, because God's given you what you need for life and godliness. It's very complete. He's given you everything you need to be admonished and to be, to be able to be built up and to be edified in his word so that you can know that your selection is sure, right? That that's the whole point. Go over to second Peter one and read all of that. We have that lovely recipe for making sure that our calling and election is sure how we participate in doing what God says, because this is how he has shown us is the way that we are in, in him. This is what that looks like. It's what obedient faith looks like. All of it's there. So just dive in and explore and study it. Take the time. Write the scriptures out. Give your heart time to process the information. Talk to the wise women in your congregation, someone that you know who is wise about these things in God's way, and allow them to help you. And don't allow it to keep you torn down and frustrated. And understand that you have hope in this way. God is the source of that hope. God's word is where you're going to find it. So dig in because it is a textbook for your life. And he is the expert in all these things. So I hope you find that helpful. Below the podcast episode, you will find a link uh, to there is a free scripture writing plan there about husbands and wives that pulls some of these examples together for you. Um, that you can go and get for free if you follow that link. I will also include some other links on um, other studies and chats that I've had about other topics involving marriage and what God has to teach us about those those things. And just to give you some encouragement somewhere to, to start from, because from there, all you need to do is open your Bible and just dive in. He's given it to you and he's told you to understand it. And I know that you can. So take a look at those resources. Share the podcast with your friends. This is, you know, good kind of good things. Scripture writing plans make great Bible studies with your girlfriends. If you want to get everybody together to help study and discuss these topics, it's a good place to get the ball rolling. So um, check out those resources below the podcast. Share the podcast with others. And I want to thank you for being here. And until next time, enjoy. Thanks for joining me today on the Diligent Woman Podcast. Please subscribe to be notified of new episodes and share those with your friends. Until next time, enjoy.